Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated this morning. Thank you. Uh, wow, what a. Aren't you just excited that we get to come together every week and worship Jesus? Amen. I'm going to ask it again. Aren't you excited that we get to come every Sunday together and worship Jesus? Amen. There you go. That's, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Ben. Some of you are going to get more excited about a dumb football game tonight or about the hot wings you got ready than you ever get about Jesus, and that shouldn't be. We should, the greatest part of your week and the, the most exciting part of your week should be when you gather in here together to celebrate a risen Savior. Amen. And shame on us for being more excited about something that doesn't even matter. I wish that I could take all of you guys with me, probably not all at the same time, that might be a little difficult, but I wish, I wish every one of you could go to Kenya with me for two weeks and experience how they worship. People all over the world worship Jesus a lot different than we do, and they get a lot more excited than we do. And so, hey, there's nothing more Nothing greater to be excited about than the fact that we serve a risen Savior. Can you say amen to that? And so I pray that you're here to celebrate with us today. And if you don't know Jesus, that today before you walk out of these doors, you will give your life to Jesus. That's my prayer this morning. Turn to Exodus chapter 11. Every time I was saying this word all week, I kept saying Exodus. I was putting Exodus and Acts together, and I almost did it there. So Exodus chapter 11 number 11. And I want to say real quickly, happy birthday to Betty. Betty, can you give us a wave back there? She is, her birthday is today, and she is 39 years old today. Okay? If you were to mirror those two numbers, 39, that's how old she is today, okay? And, and so she's told me 39, so that's what I'm sharing with you, okay? And so appreciate Betty. Every Sunday she's here. Every Sunday she's filling out the bulletin. And every Sunday she's stuffing envelopes to mail to those who are members here, but they can't come worship with us because they are in a nursing home or they just can't make it. And so, man, I'm thankful for her generation and their faithfulness because, hey, we have all of this to, to come and enjoy because of people like her, don't we? because of the legacy that's been passed to us. And so I thank you, Betty, and want to say happy birthday uh, to 39-year-old Betty, all right? Exodus chapter number 11 and 12. This is our fourth week in our study. So if you're new, I want to catch you up really quickly this morning, okay? In Exodus chapter 1 and 2 was the first week, and Pastor Dave, really we could summarize it in one statement. It was talking about God, and, and we said that God cares, that God cares for you. So hey, this is some great news this morning for you. Maybe you don't know why you came in here. Maybe you, someone invited you. and Maybe you just like uh, thought, I, life is terrible. I'm going to go to that big white building over there. I'm going to walk in and see what it's about. And here's some great news for you today. God cares for you. Amen. It doesn't matter what your past is like. Thank God. It doesn't matter what your family was like. Thank God. It do, none of that matters, right? You, you, God cares for you, and that's what Exodus 1 and chapter 2 
that Dave preached that week talk about. And then we, we went into the next few chapters. In chapter number three, we talked about that God sees and God hears and God knows. And remember, God speaks. God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And, and Moses, unlike maybe me, responded to the burning bush. If I'm not sure I would respond to a bush talking to me, to be honest. But he responds, and he realizes God speaks. And what, he re- what God revealed about himself to the nation of Israel and to Moses that day was that I've heard their cries, and I see their pain, and I know about it. And when we tag that on to week number one, not only does God see and God hear and God know, but God cares. It's one thing to serve a God who sees and knows, but doesn't care. But we serve a God who sees and knows, and he knows every detail about me and and all my mistakes and all my thoughts that, thankfully, you don't know. But God knows those, and he he still loves me. He still cares for me, and he came to deliver the nation of Israel. Last week, we really had one theme, and that was that God remembers the brokenhearted. And I'm thankful that even when life is difficult, and some of those songs alluded to that this morning, that even when life is tough and it doesn't feel like God sees and hears and cares and knows, that that God remembers the brokenhearted. And in chapter 4, he told Moses to go to the nation of Israel and to tell them he was going to deliver. And Moses was like, I don't think they're going to believe me. And Remember, God gave him three signs, three miracles, and Moses gave the three miracles to the nation of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, the people believed Moses. They believed that God saw and hears and cares and that God was going to deliver them. And remember what, they, remember what Exodus 4, 31 said? That they believed, and what did the belief lead them to do? Worship. When we have an understanding of who God is and we believe what the Bible says about God, it always leads us to worship. But then we read this verse, and so in in Exodus chapter number 6, as as the people worship and they believe, yay, God. And then chapter 5, remember Pharaoh's like, no, I don't know who your God is. I don't care who your God is. I'm not letting you go. And the people of Israel immediately turned their back on Moses like, It's all your fault, Moses. And they went from worship to worry. And remember, every time worry will draw us away from worship. However, worship will draw us away from worry. And so we want to worship. And so the nation of Israel uh, turns their back on Moses. It's your fault. And Moses goes to God and and says, God, hey, I thought you said you were going to deliver us. And he had these questions about God and about his goodness and, and his purpose. And then in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, remember the, last week we read the seven I will statements. God made seven declarative statements. I will, I will, I will, I will. And in those seven statements, there were really four promises. Those four promises were the promise of liberation. I'm going to bring you out of bondage. It was the promise of redemption. I'm going to redeem you as a people. I'm going to adopt you as my own people, and I'm going to give you a promised possession. And understand that the promises that God would fulfill in the rest of the book as we walk through it are just a picture from the Old Testament to the New Testament of the fulfillment of those promises that Jesus would make to us. That he would liberate us. That he would redeem us. That he would adopt us. And that he would give us a possession. 
And, and so Moses comes back to the people in, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and says, here's, here's what God says. Here's the four promises of God. But what did, what did the, the nation of Israel, look at verse number 9, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9. It's going to be on the screen for us this morning. If you're already in chapter 11, you can turn a few pages back. But here's what it says. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. In other words, he revealed the seven I will statements of God, the four promises of God. And he says, but they did not heed Moses. What a sad testimony. God reveals the promises, I'm going to deliver you. And it says they did not heed Moses. They didn't hear the voice of God. It it tells us why. Look at the rest of the verse. Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And, And so here's the reality. We are no different than the nation of Israel. What has happened here is that they've taken their eyes off God, and they've, been, they've placed their eyes on their circumstances. They could no longer hear the voice of God, and they couldn't believe the promises of God because they were worried about the problems they were living in. And so much we are like them. When, when life gets difficult and, and things don't seem to go the way, at least the way we wanted them to go, we stop listening to God. We stop heeding the voice of God, and, and we take our focus off of God onto our, our circumstances. And our circumstances should never dictate our worship. Worship God in spite of our circumstances. Which leads us up to chapter, I want you to turn to chapter 11 as you've already been there. And I'm just going to give you a quick, uh, really chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and into 11 are the 10 plagues of Egypt, right? And, And when we get into chapter 11 is where we get to the 10th plague. And, and so God sends these plagues to the nation of Egypt so that they'll, they'll let his people go. Remember after every single plague, you know, the frogs show up and Pharaoh says, get rid of the frogs and I'll let the people go. And when the frogs left, the promise Pharaoh gave left. Time, nine times, right? Each plague. I'm going to let you go, Moses. I'll let the people go if you take away the plague. God takes away the plague and Pharaoh recants, no, I'm not going to let you go, time and time again. But let's look in Exodus chapter number 11, all right? Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. We've had the nine plagues, and here we're going to get to the last one. Verse 1, and the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people. Let every man ask from his neighbor, every woman from her neighbor, articles of silver, articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Remember, he had promised to Moses that he would let them go out of Egypt and that they would plunder the nation of Egypt. And that's exactly what we read about. Verse 3, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. In other words, they've seen the power of God revealed through these plagues. And they realize that Moses is the man of God, the spokesperson for God, and so they have this great respect for Moses. Verse 4, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill. In other words, the lowest servant... If they don't heed the word of God, their son, their firstborn son is going to die all the way up to Pharaoh. Anyone in Egypt who doesn't heed the voice of God, their firstborn son is going to die. And all the animals, verse number 6, 
Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor like it again. And here's a, a really sometimes difficult question that comes out of this passage of Scripture. Sometimes a difficult question for people who struggle to believe that there is a God and that if there is a God, then why would a good God do this? We've, we've all been asked the question, I, I'm sure you've been asked the question, well, if God is so good and if God is so powerful, then why do bad things happen? In this passage, it would be even go a step farther to say, well, if God is such a good God, then why would he kill all of these innocent people? Have you ever been asked that question? Have you ever wrestled with that question yourself? And the question comes is, if God is good, then why would he kill these innocent people? And to answer that question, you have to first go back to the question itself and realize that the question itself is flawed. Listen to the question again, why would a good God kill innocent people? And the reality is, in this passage of Scripture, and even today, there are no innocent people. See, Adam was created in a perfect world. God created Adam and Eve, and, and, and God said, looked on his creation and said it was good, and he told them not to eat of the fruit, and the forbidden fruit, and they chose willfully to sin. And because of Adam's sin, his sin was now passed to us, and so we're all born guilty. So why the question here on your bulletin, why did God kill the firstborn son? Here's, here's the answer. Sin and disobedience to God always bring death. Sin and disobedience to God always bring death. And we understand from Scripture that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is, is death. And you may remember in Exodus chapter number 4, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh something. Let's read the two verses. Exodus 4 verse 22. And, and, and so God is telling Moses, tell this to Pharaoh. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, verse 22, Thus says the Lord of Israel, Israel is my son, my firstborn. God is calling the nation of Israel his firstborn. Exodus 4 verse 23. So I say to you, in other words, Pharaoh, listen. Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Did God give Pharaoh a chance? In fact, he gave him nine chances, didn't he? There were nine plagues. He gave him a warning before the plagues even started. Let my people go. So we have to ask the next question here on your bulletin is, why did God come to deliver Israel? That's that's, that's really the theme of Exodus, right? That the word Exodus is where we get the word exit, the way out. God made a way out. God delivered them. Why did God choose to deliver the nation of Israel? Fill in the blank there. Because God loved them. Because God still loves them. The verse that comes to my mind when I think about this is Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love toward, toward me, toward you. That even though I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And, and we're probably more familiar with 
John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sin always brings death. But because God loved the nation of Israel so much, and did God choose Israel because they were good people? I mean, if we go all the way back to Abraham, when he first chose Abraham, what we understand about Abraham was that he, he didn't even believe in a singular deity. He worshipped many gods and worshipped the God of the stars. And God called him away from that false belief in many gods to worship the one true God, the creator God. But, but why are they even in Egypt? So let's go back. Remember why they were in Egypt? Remember what happened to lead them into Egypt in the first place? Remember Joseph's brothers were, in, uh, were angry and hated their younger brother. They were jealous because he was the favorite. And so they sold their brother into slavery. And where does he end up? In Egypt. The last part of Genesis, it was at 50 verse 20. And, 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 and Joseph stood before his brother and said, What you meant for evil, God intended for good to save these many people. So God didn't choose Israel because they were good. He chose them because he loved them. And God didn't choose me because I'm good. He chose me because he loved me. And Jesus didn't die on the cross because I'm good. He died on the cross because he, he loved me. And I'm, I am so thankful for the love of Christ. So here's what we must understand. It's not that God kills the innocent that we need to focus on. It's not that God calls the, kills the innocent because there is no innocent. But God delivers the guilty. God redeems the guilty. This statement here on your outline. Well, before I get to himself, let, let's keep reading, all right? Let's read. Turn, turn the page, Exodus chapter number 12. And let me give you a, just a brief outline of chapter 12, and we won't take time to read it all. But in verses 3 through 13, uh, God tells Moses, he institutes or establishes what we now know as the Passover celebration. All right, in verses 14 through 20, there's preparations made for the celebration of unleavened bread. And we're not going to get into all the details of that. But what you understand is in verse 21 through 28, which we'll read here in a moment, is the celebration or the observ observation of the first Passover. They're going to eat the first Passover meal, and we're going to read that every year from that point on, they're supposed to eat the Passover meal to celebrate this particular day. All right? Are you, are you tracking with me? Let, let's, let's skip, and we're going to read, start reading in verse number 21. Okay, Exodus 12, 21. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families. Kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel or the top of the door and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come in your house to strike you. You shall observe the things as an ordinance of this and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. It shall be with you when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Or what is Passover? Why are we eating this meal? 
that you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, delivered our households, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Verse 28. Listen, then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. There's an important thing that we've got to point out and understand if, we, if we're tracking on this timeline. Because they have celebrated the Passover meal. God has told them to celebrate. What are they doing? They're celebrating. They're having the victory before they've won. Like, like today, there is, you know, there's T-shirts printed, Super Bowl champions for both teams. Right now, right? And when the game is finalized, then they're going to open those all up. Similar, God is saying to the nation of Israel, I want you to celebrate your deliverance before I deliver you. Now let's think for a moment from the perspective of the nation of Israel. This is what number plague? Ten. Nine times Moses has come to the people of Israel and said, Okay, after the lice, Pharaoh is going to let us go. God is going to deliver us. And after the lice stopped, what did Pharaoh say? No. Nine times Moses has come to the people of Israel. God is going to deliver us. Oh, wait. God didn't deliver us. And so here we come after nine times of them expecting deliverance from God. God kind of ups the ante here, doesn't he? And here's the truth revealed in this. It's on your bulletin this morning. Redemption is only through God's grace and our faith. Redemption only comes from God's grace and our faith. That's what Paul wrote. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. So understand here that, that what God is asking the nation of Israel to do, if I'm going to deliver you, it's going to require faith. If you're going to see God do greater things, and if you're going to see the promise, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a step of faith, and this is a big step of faith, right? They're going to have to go out and take a spotless lamb, the best lamb, and they're going to have to sacrifice it. They're going to have to put the blood on the door. It seems a little gruesome to me. And then they're going to have to wait and anticipate that God is going to deliver them. What if they had chose not to put the blood and to be covered by the blood? They would have woke up the next morning with their firstborn son killed. Because sin and disobedience always leads to death. Salvation and redemption always comes because of God's grace, but it's always applied through faith. So here's what I want everyone in the room to understand this morning. That God loved you so much because your sin separated you from a holy, righteous God. Your punishment, my punishment for my sin is that I deserve death. Just like the firstborn of Egypt. But because there was a sacrifice, because there was shed blood, I can be covered by the blood of Jesus. Because of God's grace. Are you thankful for God's grace? Have you ever received God's grace? See, grace is available for everyone. But how do I get the grace? 
How do I receive the grace? For the nation of Israel, for them to receive the grace, it was a step of faith. They were going to have to do what God asked them to do. Guess what? It's the same for you today. You're going to have to take a step of faith. The step of faith is acknowledging that I can't be good enough to get to heaven. I can't do enough good works to get to heaven. The only way that I can have forgiveness, the only way that I can have grace, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way that I can have grace is I must believe. So my question for you this morning, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus for your salvation? Have you taken that step of faith? And this morning, maybe there's somebody in here today that has not ever taken that step. You know, I grew up, like some of you, in church my entire life. It wasn't until I was 17 years old that I decided that I wasn't going to get to heaven because I was good. And I wasn't going to get to heaven because I went to church my entire life. And I wasn't going to get to heaven because my dad was a preacher. The only way that I was going to make it to heaven, the only way the grace was going to be applied to my life, was that I personally had to say, Jesus, will you be my Lord and my Savior? I believe. And my guess this morning is that there's some of you in the room that are a lot like me. Some of you may have a completely different story than me, but we're in the same boat. That you've never placed your faith in the grace of God. I want everybody to close your eyes for a moment this morning. We're not done, so don't close your Bible and zip it all up and all that good stuff. Don't, don't tune out yet. But I want your attention, so I want your eyes closed for a moment. And I want you to focus for a moment this morning. Can you honestly go back in your life and pinpoint the day when you were born again? You were brought into life. You were adopted into the family. You were redeemed and set free. You applied God's grace through faith to your life. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Do you have a day like that? And if not... I'm excited to tell you, today could be that day for you. Right now could be that moment for you. Right now could be the moment that you say, you know what? I don't, I don't know what my past was all about, and I don't understand everything, but, but today, right now, I believe that God's grace is available to me. And if I cry out to the name of Jesus and place my faith in Jesus, like Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the only way to get to God. And, and if you would believe that right now in this moment, God would redeem you. He would forgive you of your sins. And he would give you a home in heaven. So right now this morning, before we finish the service, this is the most important part right now. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you never placed your faith in him, I'm going to ask you to do it right now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to give your life to Jesus and receive God's grace and forgiveness of sins, I'm going to beg with you, I'm going to plead with you right now in this moment, right where you're seated, call out to Jesus. Maybe you could repeat these words. You don't have to say them out loud. It's just between you and God. It's not you confessing to me. It's you confessing to God. It's not you placing your faith in Hallmark or me. It's you placing your faith in Jesus. If you mean business, if you want to do that, 
whether you've been in church five days, five years, 55 years, right now. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I confess that I need Jesus. I confess that I need a Savior. And I'm asking you to allow Jesus to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to apply God's grace to my life. As our eyes are closed this morning, would anyone just say, John? I don't, I don't want anyone looking around, but if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would love to know and I would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just put your hand up? Right now, just put your hand up. John, I prayed that prayer and I, and I received God's, thank you. Just put your hand up. Anyone else? Just put it up. Leave it up for a moment. Take me a moment to look around the audience. Just put your hand up. God, I, I gave my life to Christ. Thank you in the stadium. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. If you can put it up high, that would sure help me see. There's two that I've seen so far. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. And here's what I want you to do in a moment. We're going to have a time of worship. There's going to be people standing down here facing you. And if you would like someone to pray with you, we would love to celebrate that decision with you. If that seems a little hard, then, then I would encourage you to grab one of those connect cards that Ben mentioned. Just fill out the basic information there. There's a checkbox that says, I want to know more about receiving Christ. You can hand it to me when you leave. You can put it in one of those boxes when you leave. But please, tell someone. We want to celebrate with you. God, I thank you this morning for those that have acknowledged that they've given their life to you. Lord, I pray you would give them courage to talk to someone about it. I pray you'd give them courage to share what, what decision they made today. And Lord, I pray that as we continue in this message, Lord, you would reveal yourself and your power and your purposes to us. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So get your bulletin. We're going to finish our outline this morning, all right? Number one. Okay, so going all the way back to the first message in our series here, Pastor Dave mentioned about the fact that, that Pharaoh was a representation of evil and of Satan, and, and the bondage and slavery was, was the representation of our bondage to sin, and Moses then is a picture of the perfect deliverer, Jesus, and they all point to Jesus, and they all point to our deliverance from sin to salvation. And the same is with this Passover lamb that we've just read about. Right, so on your bulletin, there's four points here. The Passover lamb was a substitutionary sacrifice. That's a big word that means that lamb took someone's place. And Jesus took my place on the cross. That lamb took the place of the firstborn son. That lamb's shed blood was the covering for the family. It was the substitute. And when we think about Jesus, he took my place. 
He took your place. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? The second one, the Passover lamb was a spotless sacrifice. They had to take the best without blemish, without spot, quote-unquote perfect lamb. And you see, that's why Jesus humbled himself. He became flesh, human, so that he could live a perfect, sinless life, so that he could be the spotless lamb of God. The third one was not only is he spotless, but this supreme. What a great picture of who Jesus is in Hebrews chapter number 10. It says here on the screen, but that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When Jesus hung on the cross and paid the penalty of my sin debt, it was a once for all sacrifice. I'm glad he doesn't have to do it again. But I'm glad he was willing to do it. The fourth one, the Passover lamb was a symbolic sacrifice. And symbolic meaning that that lamb, every year that they would sacrifice, celebrating what had taken place that night when they got freed from Egypt, was always pointing to Jesus. Remember what John said? Remember in, in John chapter 1, and Zacharias was in the temple praying, and it had been silent for 400 years, and he comes to Zacharias and says, you're going to have a boy. And, and, and we find out the purpose of this boy, John, his purpose in life was to prepare people for Jesus and to announce who Jesus was. And we read, the first thing we read that John comes when he sees Jesus, remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was the reminder that every year when we celebrate the Passover and the Lamb that died, that was a sacrifice, that was the blood shed for the covering of the sins and for the redemption of the people, the substitutionary death, it's Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was all pointing to Jesus. Moses, the deliverer, was just a picture of Jesus, the deliverer. And this morning when I think about the sacrifice that God made, and I think about what Jesus did and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross, and I think about my own life, and I'm, I think about how grateful I am that Jesus willingly died in my place. Can I just be honest? There's sometimes when I feel overwhelmed with with joy. Sometimes it's, it's a feeling of overwhelmed of gratitude. But if I'm going to be honest with you this morning, sometimes there's this overwhelming sense of, of shame. That in spite of what God did for me, how sometimes it find difficult to serve him. Do, do you find, let's just, can we be honest this morning? Sometimes does it just seem like God is asking too much? And I know it's a struggle to say yes when we all know, yes, we feel that way. Be, because the tension is, is God going to ever ask more of me than he asks of his own son? He's not, is he? But I wrestle with that tension. And, and Wednesday night in our vision meeting, we 
we gave the verse, kind of the theme verse for the year, and this past year we've been praying Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and I've challenged you to set your alarm for 3.20 a.m. or p.m. you choose, and just pray that God would do more in us and for us and through us, and that verse talks about that God could do abundantly more than we could ima- ever ask, imagine, or think, and we've been praying that verse, and, and we celebrated Wednesday night that at Hallmark in 2018, we saw more people saved and more people baptized that year than we have in a long time. And I give God all the glory and all the praise for that. Because what we asked for, God did. God did more. But in John chapter 1, we looked at John chapter 1 and verse 50. And when I, when I think of the sacrifice that Jesus made for me so that I could have forgiveness of sins, so that I could have grace, so that I could have abundant life, not just eternal life. That's what J- Jesus said. I didn't come just to give them eternal life. I came to give them abundant life. That's a good life right here that I get to serve Jesus every single day with, with my life. I want you to turn to John chapter 1, and we're only going to read two verses, but I want to give you the context of this before we, we finish this morning. And in John chapter 1, Jesus had just entered the scene, and And he talks to Peter, and he talks to Andrew, and Peter and Andrew's testimony in John chapter 1 is, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the one that Moses talked about. This is the one that Moses pictured, the the deliverer, the redeemer, the Moses brought the people out of Egypt, that he brought them out of bondage. Jesus is the one that is literally going to bring us from, from death to life, from orphans to adoption. To redeem us. And Andrew and Peter apparently told Philip. It says in the text here that that Philip was from the same city. So I'm just going to assume that he knew about it because Philip, uh, because Peter and Andrew told him. And then in the story that you read there in John chapter 1, really starting in verse number 43, Philip goes to a friend, Nathaniel. And Philip's testimony to his friend Nathaniel is, we have met the Messiah. We have met Jesus, the one that Moses talked about, the one the prophets talked about. It's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. And you know what Nathaniel's response was? I don't know about that. The text says, what, what, what Nathaniel says is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I... I don't think he's the Messiah. I don't believe. And what does Philip say? Well, come and see. Come and see for yourself. So he takes Nathaniel and says, remember, he's told Nathaniel, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the one the prophets talked about. Nathaniel's doubting, skeptical. It's not the Messiah. I don't believe you. Come and see. And they go. And as they approach Jesus, Jesus says, hey, it's Nathaniel. The one in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel immediately says, whoa, 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 whoa. How do you know me? And Jesus says, Nathaniel, I knew you. Before Philip even came and told you to come see me, I saw you under the fig tree. I knew who you are. And I think in these two statements, uh, the, the fig tree and the, in whom there is no deceit, those were specific words that Jesus said for a specific reason. And they triggered in Nathaniel's mind a particular story. And immediately, what was Nathaniel's response? Let's read it in verse number 49. 
John chapter 1, verse 49. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You see how quickly his skepticism went to salvation and to faith? How quickly he went from doubting to believing? How quickly he became a follower of Jesus Christ? And I want to point out something very, very quick here this morning. That Nathaniel would have never met Jesus if it weren't for who? His friend, Philip. And as much as Jesus is willing to sacrifice for us, just, just following the context of the story, was it very difficult for Philip to talk Nathaniel into coming and seeing Jesus? Did he have to really expound a lot? What did he say? We, we found Jesus, the Messiah. Don't believe you. We'll come and see. And in one brief conversation, Nathaniel places his faith in Jesus. Truly, he is the Messiah. Ben alluded to the words behind me, these three words. Disciples making disciples. That's a picture of it. Philip had met Jesus. Philip got a friend and introduced his friend to Jesus. My question for us this morning is, who have you recently introduced to Jesus? And if that hasn't been very recent, if we have not replicated our faith in someone else, if we're not actively disciples who are making disciples, are we really disciples? But I love the response that Jesus gives to Nathaniel. Let's read it in verse 50. And this is our theme verse for the year. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Like, that really wasn't a big deal, Nathaniel. And then, he, then, then is what he says. You will see greater things than these. You will see greater things than these. What my prayer for us as a church this year is, is that we've seen God do more last year. But I don't want to be satisfied with more. I want to see God do greater things. And what God's impressed on my heart this week and, and, and as I've been reading this passage the last few months is that it can't be that we make a commitment as a church to pray, okay, God, do greater things or we're going to sit back and watch it happen. It has to be that, God, I'm praying for greater things. And what William Carey said was, expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. And I'm afraid that we oftentimes expect great things from God, but we don't attempt great things for God. My challenge for you this morning, my challenge for us as a church is, could we adopt this verse and pray, God, we want to see you do greater things, but it not be a passive prayer, that it be an active prayer, that God, as we expect you to do greater things, we are going to attempt greater things for you. I'm going to find a Nathaniel this year. And I'm going to introduce him to Jesus. What if, what if this morning, everybody in this room found a Nathaniel? What if we were all actively disciples making disciples? I drove around our neighborhood this week. Do you know there's people building houses all over the place? I live, I live seven miles from the church and I don't know how many construction sites I see of people building homes. What do, what do homes represent? 
People. People. I heard that on this corridor, corridor just uh, west of us here on, on the bypass that they're expecting 16,000 new homes. You know what those homes represent? People, disciples that aren't disciples yet. What would happen if we as a church had a burden for those people moving to those homes? What if as a church like Philip we decided Nathaniel's never met Jesus? I don't even know if Nathaniel knows or has heard about Jesus, but I want Nathaniel to know about Jesus. What if the burning desire of each of us in, our, in the room this morning was as Jesus sacrificed for me, I'll sacrifice for him. What if I gave up some of my comfort and my schedule and my daily routine to just be open for whatever God wants? What if I looked at the houses, and, and I've, I've read all the, the commentary, right, that the train is coming to Burleson and then to Cleburne, and everyone's griping because my poor little town is going to be big. And what if we'd stopped griping about the things we don't like and started realizing God is sending the world to us. Amen. And God has given us the mission to make disciples who make disciples. And we have no excuse. There are people everywhere. If you drive much, you know that, right? And you're cussing in your car about all the people driving. Not, I don't do that. What if all those little interruptions in our life we, we just took as reminders. Jesus saying, I, I sacrificed everything. We're so comfortable with that Jesus came to us, but we're not so willing to take him to anyone else. And shame on us. And this, you know, Wednesday night, I asked everyone to stand if they were willing to say, John, I'm going to pray. John 150, I'm going to set my alarm for 150, probably p.m. every day, and I'm going to pray that God would do greater things. But this year, as I pray that prayer, it's not going to be a passive prayer. It's going to be an aggressive prayer that, God, as I pray for you to do greater things, I'm also making a commitment that I'm going to attempt greater things for you. That I'm going to get my eyes off myself, and I'm going to see the lost people. I'm going to see people that don't know Jesus, and I'm going to do everything I can to make a disciple this year. And I ask everybody to stand, and as I kind of felt the room, a great percentage of people stood, and then some people were like, well, everyone else is standing, so I better stand. So I, I want to make it a little more difficult for you this morning to make that same commitment. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're willing to say, God, I'm going to pray for greater things, but I'm going to be involved. I'm going to attempt greater things. I'm going to ask you just to come stand down here right now. Just come. If you don't mean it, just sit. Don't come, please. Just come stand across the altar this morning. You may have to get close with someone, right, to fill up. If you're not serious, it's okay. Just We're, we're in this together, right? Not everybody's here. Not everybody's willing to make this commitment. That's okay. And we're obviously not all going to fit at the very front. That's okay.
Would you just grab that, someone's hand next to you? I know this is not great during flu season, but we're going to do it anyways. And I've been sick all week, so I'm going to stay up here away from you. And this is a commitment as a church. That we're going to stop worrying about the things that really don't matter. And we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus gave everything up for us. And why is it so difficult for us to make a few concessions with people or with preferences? Why is it so difficult to walk across the street and tell our neighbor? Why is it so difficult to look across the locker and tell someone, hey, come to church with me? I'm going to ask you as, as we pray that, that you would ask God to give you a Nathaniel. Someone this year you could invest your life into. Would you pray with me as I pray? God, we come to you as, as a church. Lord, as you've depicted in, in the Bible that we're a body of Christ. We are a representation of Jesus. And Lord, I ask today that you would forgive us. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for not being focused on the mission. Forgive us, Lord, for being frustrated instead of looking for opportunities. Lord, and I, I want to thank you and I want to praise you for all that you've done in 2018. Thank you for the souls that have been saved, those who've been baptized. Lord, I pray as a church that we would commit right now in this moment not just to pray for greater things, but to attempt greater things. To be on mission every day with the power of the gospel that has the power to redeem, to set free, to adopt, and to give us a possession of eternal life. Lord, we will give you the glory for what you do in this place. Maybe a place where people come and find Jesus. I'm just going to ask you where you are. If you just take a few moments where you're standing, if you want to go back to seat, your seat, you can do that. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. But maybe you want to just stand this morning and, and sing right where you're at. We're going to sing this song of surrender. It's a song we just prayed. God, I'm willing to surrender all. If you want to kneel at the altar and you can make room to do that, go for it. But as Ben leads us in this song, may it be our, may it be our prayer this morning. Stay as long as you want. Go back to your seat whenever you feel comfortable. If you want to stay and kneel and pray, that's okay. If you're still in your seat, would you stand with us? Let's just worship together.